Welcome to Tuke Talk, a video podcast by the band Tuke, and brought to you by Blackfrog Media. We chat with the best in the music industry from yesterday and today with a focus on the good old days of Canadian rock. This episode originally streamed live on Tuesday, September 8th, 2020 on Facebook Live. Now, here are your hosts, Todd, Brent, Shane, Corey, and Darren. That is sick. Wow. Look at <laughs> what us. was that? You got to abbreviate it again? Can you play it again? <laughs> Can I run the intro again? You got to run the intro again. Hang on here. Oh, yes. Oh, 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 I, think it was even, I think it was even cooler the second time. Yeah. <laughs> you're paying attention. Yeah. Because I was actually That's paying attention. That's cool. Darren, you're a goddamn genius. Hey, with the cursing. The cursing right away. Sounds marvelous. <laughs> and thanks for tuning in. That's the show for today. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just Where do we go five, from there? Five, five minutes of graphics and then we're out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, first time in a while. Uh, just yeah. so, uh, yeah, we apologize, everybody. Uh, we couldn't be with you last week. Just scheduling and people all over the place and the world we live in. So we're back today and first time, I think in a long time that we've all had or that we've all been here. Brent, good to see you back. Yes, Brent. How are you, sir? Good. Good to be back behind the Jets logo. There we are. There we go. Yeah, Yeah. right there, dude. Right there. Hey, how about that hockey, by the way? He's watching it. I mean, it's kind of a weird playoffs, right? The, the, the teams super weird. The playoffs are like, wait, the Islanders? It's been since the 80s? Or when, when you know, I love it. And, you know, uh, I think now, it's cool. Based on last night's performance, my team is, might not be saying that for very much longer. I know. <laughs> Why well, I think it's cool the Islanders are, are in it is because my favorite team is the Capitals. And that's right. the coach of the Capitals when they won the Stanley Cup a couple years right. ago. Yeah. Who I believe is also a Manitoban, correct? Is he? Extra cool. Randy, you might know that. I thought somebody told me that. I don't know. I could be wrong. You should probably just lay claim to them anyway. That's what most Winnipeg people do is just, oh, he's from Winnipeg. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I don't think he's Winnipeg. I mean, Manitoba, but yeah. So, Whereabouts in Manitoba would he be from? That raises a bunch of other questions. I don't know. know. If anybody uh, watching. Our guest today uh, lived in in the Paw, Manitoba. This one lived in Lynn Lake, Manitoba. So there's there's a whole other world of Manitoba. Hey, friendly Manitoba, you guys. Let's be honest. It really is. Knights, because there's so many Winnipeggers on the team, that's really one of the main reasons I always cheer. Because White Cloud is one of the new rookies, and, of course, Mark Stone. And Ryan Rees, of course. Like, some good Winnipeg uh, Winnipeg kids. Do you uh, think the nature of this different type of setup for the playoffs has created the different advantages for different teams and all this kind of stuff? To have some, like, the Islanders and teams like that being involved or is it just sort of the nature of the way the season was going prior to all this it looked like it was the nature of but i mean i kind of feel bad because no matter what happens it's going to be an asterisk year for whoever wins i mean you yeah. know it's just the covid, COVID cup. cup weird yeah thing. covid <laughs> cup that'll be so, so weird to consider to consider like down the line that that and everything else but just to be considered that well that was that covid year that's right yeah, yeah. Can you imagine hoisting the cup with nobody in the stands? Yeah. Around? And, and I got that opportunity, right? Exactly. That sounds exactly like what would happen to me. 
hey, you won an award. <laughs> no one's here to see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're mailing it to your house. Don't talk about it. <laughs> if you guys are watching the games, if you, if you kind of don't pay attention to the what's going on, you know, outside of the actual rink and, and nobody in the stands, it sounds like a real game, right? They're pumping yeah. in crowd banter and all that stuff. So it's effectively as good watching it on TV, excitement-wise, yet... You know, if you we got to talk about this because what what's going to happen for us musicians? Like, are we going to start doing gigs with fake audience as well? Or I don't know. <laughs> well, we're going to have people in two, real people. <laughs> we'll be very used to that. Look, okay, here we go. <laughs> oh, he's from Dolphin. Oh, Ar- Ar- actually lived in. Well, as well, how do you like That's that? So cool. Dolphin he's a cool man. guy. He's super nice too. You can tell. Canadian. The, uh, That's amazing. Okay, Islanders go. But um, the, uh, I think the idea of having a bunch of cutouts in the audience would be very interesting. Have you <laughs> did noticed? You see I, the, I did you see the? To, did you see the I guy that to sneak into the the uh, baseball game? They, you know how they have the cutouts in the uh, the Major League Baseball. <laughs> I guess the guy tried to sneak in and pose okay. as a cutout, and oh. they busted him. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. Oh my God. position. The blue well, you know, in like when they shoot things like Rocky and that kind of stuff, there are extras in the audience, but then there are actually like, I don't know if they're cutouts or dummies or whatever they use, but they do kind of complete a whole other section of the audience of the crowd with, with really? like a fake audience. Yeah. Otherwise you'd be hiring like, it's too hard to control like a full, you know, staple center or something like that. So they kind of, you know, do what they do. Absolutely. Now it would all be CGI, of course. They wouldn't have to mess with that at all. And we can't talk about uh, trophies and worldwide fame without bringing up a, a particular couple of individuals that are joining us here today who had some uh, success on the world stage in the last couple of weeks. Guys, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Wow. Well, we got our, me and Shane. Got credits in uh, on a major motion picture. We were the band in the Bill and Ted new movie, Face the Music. You know, in a lot of ways, someone has to do the artwork with Bill and Ted, but it would be Shane and Corey. (laughs) (laughs) I'm putting that out there. Well, if you go and watch the movie, and the the very end sequence when they're trying to save and unify the universe and all reality as as it exists, when you see the girl on the drums, it's Shane playing the drums. When you see uh, Ted playing guitar, it's me playing guitar. Right. So we, 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 uh, but you're saying out, it's, it's not Shane dressed as a girl. Shane's playing the musical part. That's the audio right. you're no, hearing. exactly. Yeah, we should just say that we're not, so we don't appear in the movie. You just hear us. Yeah. But that's, that's so cool. Yeah. It was wow. interesting really when, cool. We, uh, when we actually tracked that, uh, Corey was over here producing, and we had to put the, we, we basically put the, that, that scene up on a screen. They sent us the video and so, you played to it. Yeah. So the very beginning, they're kind of like kind of working out a song, like what they're going to play, you know? So the drums are kind of like, you know, out of time. And so I kind of had to like watch the screen and try and mimic what was happening on the screen. That's kinda so like cool. When you recorded, and how did this all come about? I mean, you guys managed to, uh, you know, this didn't happen overnight. I mean, so you've been working on this for a while, I'm assuming. Yeah, so um, it was actually Josh Gooch. He's the other guitar player in the Schneider Band that brought me into the project. Uh, on his Instagram page, he's followed by the music director for Bill and Ted's movie. And then Shane, myself, 
Josh and Derek Frank, the bass player from Shania's band, we did an instrumental tune and we called ourselves the Coincidental Miners. Great name. And, yeah, great name, right? And so uh, after he saw that video of us playing, he contacted Josh and said, hey, would you like to take a stab at, at producing this end piece for us? Because right now it's a Frankenstein of a bunch of different producers who have all submitted their songs and we need to make one unified last piece that will save the world. So their music editor took all those other productions and put them together in like a cut up thing. It was like different drum tracks and program drums here. And then we took it over to Shane's house with the video to, uh, that we had to match it to. Right where just, Shane is sitting it, right now. Exactly. Yeah. We made it, we made it sound like it was one complete thought with one complete band on one complete night. That's awesome. so cool. Basically it. Wow. And uh, I haven't had the chance to see the movie yet. So I haven't um, yet either. I'm dying to just, but I, I guess I'm reading some of the comments and the movie is obviously being received very well. And I mean, I saw it on the iTunes chart. So uh, congrats to you guys. And uh, if you're not here next week, I'm assuming it's because all the royalties are piling in and uh, you guys are off. <laughs> <doing other things. laughs> are you retired? Yeah, you're you're retired. Wow. That'd be great. That'd be um, intense money. So, but, but here's the thing about the whole thing. So once we did our take on the whole thing, we took it over to their, had a meeting with the director and the producers. And we said, uh, and, and they're like, you know, their arms are folded as we walked in and we're like, okay, here. And we all sit down in this room and, and, you know, we're like, Oh, I hope they like this. And, um, and after we had, they had watched it, they all like started clapping for us, which was amazing. And as we were leaving the room at the end of the meeting, the music director or music uh, editor uh, leaned over and says, you know, we, we were expecting you guys to really suck. You know that. <laughs> so wow. they loved it. But then we went for lunch with the music director. And he goes, yeah, so everybody seems to love what you guys have done. But, hey, what would you think about if we replaced your guitar playing with uh, Steve Vai? Uh. <laughs> and my heart kind of sank. And I'm like, okay, well, this is Hollywood. If you're going to get replaced by somebody you know, why not the best, right? So, sure. um, so what they ended up doing is they didn't get Steve Vai. They got Ingve Malmsteen. They got Nuno Betancourt. They got, I think they asked the guys from Weezer and they got Warren D. Martini from Rat. All wow. do exactly what we basically did. And um, so we were, we were fully prepared for one of those guys to replace our parts. But in the end, they're like, you know what? Whatever it is, we, we, it took us to look elsewhere before we realized how much we loved what you guys did. But you guys probably put a lot of, like like Shane was saying, playing to the thing and, mm -hmm. and making sure you're playing. That 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 attention. Yeah. To, I know you guys to be attention to detail guys because I have to fucking record with you all the time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Put I mean, you through the ringer. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I think that had a lot to do with it. Was the fact that we gave it so much attention and all these big stars, you know, couldn't have spent days on it. They probably just shredded over it. And sure, yeah. um, it, it was probably awesome because those guys are awesome. But I so think basically, the, the long and short of it is it that you're better than Ingram Momsen or Steve Vai? Let's yes. just leave it at that. Let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> 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 we up from here. So um, we do have a, a special guest on deck, and the uh, specialist, the specialist um, of guests on deck. And I guess it would uh, only be fitting here, Brent. Uh, you want to do the introduction? Absolutely. I'm uh, I'm always proud of Winnipeggers. I'm very biased, Darren. I love you, but I even love people that I went to high school with even more because I know what a hard path it is to go from uh, 
like I'm in St. James right now in Crestview here. Down the street is my high school. Like I could walk down the street from where I am. Anyway, our guest today happened to be uh, happened to go to that same high school. So I couldn't be prouder than um, introducing the very lovely and talented Biff Naked, who we kind of grew up in the same neighborhood here. And she's uh, she's rock and roll royalty and legend, and um, has a successful music career and. Uh, you know what's weird is I, I was mentioning to my dad that we were having Biff Naked on today. My dad goes, oh, I've got her book. I'm reading her book right now. I'm like, what the fuck is that all about? Really? <laughs> wow. Amazing. So listen, let's get Biff Naked on and let's talk about all things Winnipeg. Woo! Hey, Biff. You are too much. I can't even believe it. And people don't believe me when I tell them that we went to high school together. In fact, I remember sneaking into this bar when I was underage and you were playing drums on this crazy kit. I'd never seen anything like it before. It was all, um, I don't know, attached, you know? <laughs> and I remember, so if I was underage, you were underage for sure. Oh, was yeah, it, 19 yeah. then? it was 19, right? In Winnipeg then? No, 18. 18. It was 18. Okay. Like Alberta. Yeah. Yes. It was 18, you know, but I, I definitely think, was not because we were all prairie kids. I think the laws are a little stricter today. Kids, so. don't try that at home. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's very funny. And I was not interested at all in music. I was a drama kid. Uh, Fitzy, of course, was in band, you know, but I was a drama kid. I was in the, in the school plays. I was never in choir or anything like that. And trust me. You know, punk rock. I didn't really need to know how to sing. You know what I'm saying? So, it's easy. <laughs> so the transition kind of it just it just happened. It was a good fit for me in the performing arts. I well, do remember you. You actually we we used to talk. So we spent time together, sitting beside each other. And if you can remember, Mr. Marchenko's art class. Oh, yes. So yes. Here's the thing: is you know when you're in high school, not all of us. Prairie kids, you know, if we can all talk here, because we all are. This is, is this a first? Well, and Shane, even though, yeah, we're all prairie kids, right? Well, the Darren's the prairie folk. Small town, yeah. small town kids. Yeah. Thunder yeah. Bay, Ontario. The, we'll accept that. Very nice. If you think about when you're in school, when everyone else is doing, you know, group things in high school, you know, going to parties and getting drunk and that. And I always remember, I always had sort of a master plan, but I talked to to Biff about this in Mr. Marchenko's art class. And you already had a, a plan, like a, a plan as a, you know, in you were in the big school play and you were kind of already a star. You were already drama. You were popular. You were doing things, even though you might not have had a music uh, direction and a path, but you were already on, you were, you were, your entertainment skills were like, I was a very, um, maybe I was into music, but I wasn't into like, I, I couldn't do a play. And in front sure of you people. could. No, but you yes, were in yes. those fucking Harry Potter movies. You had a certain uh, it was like I'll call it star quality in high school because a lot of kids are kind of finding their way and you already sort of were comfortable at being a little bit more you know, you know, you had just you had something. And I remember I ran into you uh, not long after that, and I think was it when, and we can talk about all this, like the band, was it Gorilla Gorilla? Or you were like, yeah. I'm singing in a band. And I was like, I'm not surprised at all. 
it wasn't the it wasn't the drama path you were doing oh, all of a sudden you were in so a band funny. and i was like well i'm in a fucking band too but you you were right there at the same time we were playing all those clubs and yeah all the clubs it's funny to hear you recall it because you know i ran away from home in grade 12 and i ran away from home with my buddy uh, from school and we hitchhiked to toronto because i wanted to be an actor like literally in my adolescent insane brain i decided that the only way that i could uh get onto you know saturday night live and be the next eddie murphy or whatever <laughs> a fantasy i had about myself uh and we ran away from home and it was very uh it was a miracle that we survived uh that we weren't killed we we met with a terrible misadventure a lot of uh a lot of terrible things that occurred and somehow somehow i wound up Coming back to Winnipeg, getting back into high school, and graduating. Like, I don't wow. even know how, it, how I managed to do it. And uh, enrolling in University of Winnipeg theater program, of course I did. I had yeah. nothing better to do. Dropped out and joined Gorilla Gorilla. Went on tour uh, with the Wongs, and that was it. And I've been on tour ever since. That's so awesome. Amazing. How gross is it as a girl touring with a bunch of dudes? Because it's gross as a dude. It's a different, you know, it's so funny. I have lots of conversations about this now in the era that we live in now. And the era that we all grew up uh, kind of cutting our teeth, touring sure. in those vans and, and staying where we could. I mean, you know, I could I could go on and on <laughs> about, about how outrageous, how outrageous things uh, can be if you're a female in any industry, of course. Sure, yeah, but I yeah. think that there, there's some type of a resilience that every every rock and roll chick has, and the the chicks that don't have that resilience are not in rock and roll, and that is the bottom line. And okay. I get I get in lots of trouble for saying that. Uh, I really do, but it, there is a resilience that you have to have, and uh, for me, being or you know, especially once we started touring overseas and stuff, it was. Uh, you know, we were with a lot of Roadrunner bands, and it was it was definitely a, a sausage party every day. It was a boys' club, and I knew for myself the only way that I could know for sure I would not be misinterpreted ever was by not drinking alcohol. Like literally, that was yeah. my mentality when I was twenty four or whatever. I went, oh, <laughs> that's right, I get drunk on one beer because I'm a prairie girl. Yeah, I can't drink. Obviously, I just can't <laughs> drink and be a right. professional. Right. And, and so that was a decision I made really young um in my career and it, it's something that was uh, that sustained me i know it did and that type of self-discipline as you all know you you tour internationally there's little sleep that happens there's you know you find food when you can even on the big tours even in the big catering rooms you still are tr there to do a job that requires mm -hmm. your ultimate 150 percent every day you can't you can't be a slacker no, you know you can't, and I always felt that as a female, uh, even more so, that pressure was on me, and so I just always did everything I could just to, to rise up to it. Yeah, and the biz, and in, in what we do, there's no sort of like uh, I can't make it in today, guys. I no. it's like well, there's no. you don't have a you don't have a sub like like in a in a play or something like that. You're That's Biff right. Naked. Uh, it, the, the group is called Biff Naked, so you right. got to get up there and do your thing. So. I missed, I missed one show in 1996. I missed a show in Regina, Saskatchewan because uh, I had strep, strep throat. 
and uh, and we were deadheading it, I think, from New Jersey or somewhere like that in a van. And that was up until, you know, up until tit cancer, that was the only show I ever missed ever <laughs> in my life. So it was like, yeah, it was like, I don't know, 21 years of straight touring. Well, that says a lot. Yeah, because it's no joke. Everybody thinks it's going to be like, uh, I don't know, like American Idol or something. And you just yeah. you try out and then all of a sudden it's beautiful hotels and, and, yeah. and, and, and private jets. And it's like, that's right. Yeah, you, all you gotta do is read your book or, or just talk to any of us. And there's a lot of like those years of vans. And do you mind if we crash on your floor tonight? You know, like that. that and, kind the of rock and, and the scabies and the scabies. Uh, you know, yeah, you sure. can't, right. Sure. You can't forget the scabies no. and the, yeah. and the, the white jeans. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not talking about me. It was uh, actually a drummer, but uh, anyway, I think it, that's the name of your next book. It's not glamorous. Yeah. It's your not next glamorous. book is called scabies and white jeans. <laughs> <laughs> and drummer. Forward by Shane Gallus. I can't, I can't make it up. <laughs> we talked about babies on a previous episode, so this is becoming a theme. Very yeah, good. I know. Well, Very good. I'm proud. I'm proud. It goes around. It goes around. Yeah. What uh, was I going to say? Uh, so what? Uh, there's so much about your youth, and and I've read the book. Of course, I read the book. I had to read the book. You're and. And, well, it's, you know, it's, it's a given. I love rock and roll books and I love biographies. And then I go on into an airport and I go, if, if naked, boom, sold. Read yeah. it on the, on the flight to wherever the hell we were going. Fantastic. On our private jet. It's a whole thing. It was, <laughs> of uh, course. they were out of watermelon slices. I hit the roof. Uh, no, uh, no, we, uh, <laughs> no, uh, but I think it's fascinating too, because yours is such an interesting journey of born in, New Delhi, adopted, mm -hmm. you know, the Paw, Manitoba. I'm like, I was, I grew up, half my life was in Lynn Lake, Manitoba. So you and I both yeah. grew up in northern Manitoba. People don't yeah. understand not just Canada, but northern Canada is a whole other yeah. experience. Absolutely. And then, but the fact that I'm always fascinated by everybody's journey. Like every one of us, I look at us and go, these guys did this thing and ended up playing at this, you know, at Download in, in England to uh, 20,000 people or, or Corey's been on, uh, a million TV shows and, and Shane's played in Tokyo. And then I go, I watch Biff kind of do all this stuff, grew up in his little town. Wasn't even sure she wanted to play music. And then she's on like Jay Leno. And you go like, damn dude, like it's just watching these things happen is so interesting. But I assume that this, this, this thing that made you want to go to Toronto and be an actor is exactly what works when you decide I'm going to take this microphone, get up on stage in front of people and sing, you know, and watch it turn into that you know i mean you're a star you, having star quality is not something you're taught and it's not about how high you can sing or how all that kind of stuff it's something you just kind of were naturally born with and something you cultivated like, so good your, on you. like yourself and your brothers by the way but, <laughs> no. but well myself thing, anyway you just know kidding. i think the, the <laughs> thing about it is and the thing that keeps propelling people who are performers and writers uh, like for me, performing was a great vehicle for my poetry and for my writing in lyrics. And it was a good fit for me. But the truth is, um, with all performers, there's a, an element of still always, always waiting to be discovered every single sure. performance. And, and I think that that really does uh, carry us through our entire careers. And it continues. It doesn't matter how old we get. I mean, you know, we can be like, Anthony Hopkins or Tina Turner and still every single performance everyone is still always hoping that that performance is going to that you're going to get discovered like that 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 hope that that yearning that longing 
um, to be seen and heard never leaves us. And I don't think I really understood that uh, as I was a young performer. I think it took until, you know, now. <laughs> well, that's you know, let's go. It's okay. When you bring up people like Anthony mm. Hopkins, I always think that it's really interesting, like guys like him or, say, Brian Cranston on Breaking Bad, when they kind of hit that that level as a work, they're like working actors, and all of a sudden they hit this other level in their fifties or you know whatever. Yes. And you're like, damn! So it always kind of illustrates to me that we can be successful, but it doesn't mean you've. You, it's time to put your feet up and sit on the hammock. It's kind of like That's you right. can all you can always go bigger, and I, I think it's really interesting to imagine. You know, at this stage of the game, I don't think you have any interest in like, ah, I've done all that. I'm good. I love I performing. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it, it'll never leave me. I love performing. I've written a couple more books. I love reading. I love doing speaking engagements. Um, I don't know. I think that also our generation and Generation X and, and all the generations that uh, were before us, you know, we don't retire. Like, well, there's no retirement, no. really. <laughs> I mean, when, look at no. Kiss. You know, there's no... Yeah. I mean, yes, okay, the final tours, maybe. You know, yeah. there's always us going, ha, 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 come on. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, and, and I think that, that even our heroes, our heroes are still performing uh, in their 80s. Yeah. yeah. You know, because uh, we're all living longer, hopefully, you know, pandemic notwithstanding, you know, mm -hmm. hopefully we all survive uh, well into another 30, 40 years of doing shows, like no doubt about it. I think we've all structured it purposely that way that we don't have, you know, I mean, like I never had that sort of side gig that I'll, I'll just become an accountant, you know, when right. this, cause I'd, I'd probably be an accountant like 10 times already. Cause like any number of things would have happened where it's like, this ain't working out, bro. Boom. Yeah. So yeah. you go, Oh, well, if, it, if you don't have a safety net, you just keep, keep going. You know? I don't know a musician with a safety net. <laughs> but if you guys, well, by the way, if you guys need any accounting, call me. <laughs> no, don't call me. Really, honestly, don't call me. <laughs> I would love to go back to your origins because you were born in India, right? Yes. Yeah. And so, and, and so, and I've been to India a few times, and I'm just wondering if you ever, oh. if you have, it looked like Yogananda behind you, but I don't think it is. Have you ever been back to India to, to see where you were born and all yes, that? Yes, 100%. And I was very, very lucky. You know, it was an accident. I was a little white kid, a little Caucasian kid born in India to uh, a couple of teenagers who were there. And my parents, although they were there because the United Church in Minnesota sent them, uh, uh, they, they were not really missionaries. My father was a dentist. And uh, so he was there fixing teeth. There's a, a, a bunch of schools there called Christian Medical Colleges and stuff like that where they have just lots of great facilities and teaching, teaching schools and stuff like that. So it was really serendipitous that I was adopted by these uh, socialist Democrat Americans that <laughs> took my older sister and I back to the U.S. And then eventually, yeah, the Paw Manitoba. After the Paw, we moved to Lexington, Kentucky. That's After great. that, we moved to Dauphin, Canada's national Ukrainian capital. And then we moved to Winnipeg, uh, where I went to high school. And I lived in Vancouver for 30 years until I moved out to Toronto a couple years ago. But being back to India is always a goal of mine. Um, I The last time I went there, I did a tour of India um, Gosh, it was uh, definitely 15 years ago. And, wow. um, yeah, everything about my birthright, my parents 
kind of drilled into our heads in a way. When we were 21, we had a choice of citizenships uh, mm. back when they still did that. I don't even know if they still do that today. Um, and it's always figured very prominently in my life, in my uh, just everything. Um, and, and most particularly when I did get into music and particularly punk rock music, I discovered Krishna core and it really spoke to me because I was hugely interested in Hare Krishna and Hinduism and Jainism and Sikhi and just everything I could absorb about theology. I wanted to, and it also worked out with yoga also, because nice. uh, all my little buddies and I in the early 90s were all studying Ashtanga. So it all really went together very nicely. Um, uh, were your, yeah. your parents, um, your adopted parents, were they uh, like Christian then? Or? Oh, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, dad, so you were brought up Christian, is that right? Oh, definitely. Yes. We went so, to so uh, was there a rebellion? United Church. Oh, okay. Um, was there a rebellion at all? Because it seems like you're kind of on the Eastern mysticism sort of. End you of know, things. Absolutely. And I think that the basically I think that my father um kind of accused me of cherry picking my whole life. He just said, You can't just read a book about Taoism and decide that you want to be a Taoist. And I said, Well, why the fuck can't you? You know, it, it really spoke to me. And then that's how I discovered uh that I enjoyed reading about Buddhism, and I discovered the the correlation, you know, um, with a lot of the early Buddhist stuff, and mm. and I just it just always resonated with me. Now, I think as I, um, you know, as I understand religion and theology as I get older, and hopefully smarter. I don't know if that actually works that way, <laughs> but I, I find that a lot of them are the same thing, and I and I love it, and I love discussing it a lot. I do a lot of different. Um, talks in the work that I do with volunteering and um, I don't know I, I'm a big theology junkie I love I love religion but I think the truth is I love faith and I love how people have faith and sometimes that faith in whatever it is will carry them through a situation uh, sure. and get them to the other side and it's incredible and people who are faithless uh, regardless of what the faith is even if it's just in themselves or in their good dog or in their kids um, they, they tend to not have as good a time. You know, I, I just think that it's really um, interesting. If I could go back to university, you know, like you're talking about safety nets, I don't know. You know, should I should I go into you know divinity? Should I? I don't know. Why not? Why yeah, not? Or politics? That'd be a great that'd be a great like third act of your career. Is suddenly you're in divinity. Yeah. Well, it makes sense to me. I've got there's an organization here that I really uh, really am interested in. They're a home hospice um, sure. organization, and uh, they do death doula. Uh, training right. and stuff like that and that's something that really calls me i feel very wow. drawn drawn to that as i as i continue it going on but we're making a new record so that always throws the rent <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and uh and i love it and i still i just love it did that's your great. veganism come because of your spiritual seeking there was a man with a mohawk <laughs> uh, that won my heart and my first husband I was eight, about 19 when I married him he was a vegetarian okay. and he worked for Greenpeace uh, volunteered for them and stuff like that and I learned all about um, his ideas uh, surrounding food and food sustainability and vegetarianism and uh, and whatnot and that kind of led me down the path I, we never I mean we were poor 
you know, meat's expensive. Literally, we never <laughs> bought it. It was expensive. Uh, so we ate a lot of chickpeas and peanut butter and, you know, and, and hummus and rice and stuff like that. And it's just always agreed, agreed with me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a, I'm a chick, you know, we have funny stomachs and stuff. It just always agreed <laughs> with me. And as time went on, I, it occurred to me I never ate cheese. I never ate it. I never drank milk. Uh, so I went, oh, yeah, why would I do that? You know, and then it just kind of went on from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and being a vegan, you know, not only was I the only girl on a tour, I was always the only vegan. Mm-hmm. And so it, it is not my nature ever to want to take up you know, too much space in the room with a band because I'm taking up all the space on the stage, you know, (laughs) and in, in my, in my personal life, uh, I would rather them go get what they need to eat and I will eat last. I will find a banana. I will find (laughs) a tomato. I will find an avocado. And that's how I accidentally discovered not only was I raw, vegan because uh, I, I didn't call it anything it's just how i ate you know grab a banana grab an apple um i discovered i was actually a fruitarian mm, right and uh you know i just it wasn't really intentional it's just how i always ate and i always viewed how i ate as a religion uh something that was just very personal for me and very satisfying for me i didn't never wanted to impress it upon anybody else or drag them down my you know sordid path um <laughs> But, you know, then the advent of social media happened uh, over the years. And I think that it's I think that it's fantastic that people explore different ideas, you know, and that's all it really is. You know, people can explore different ideas and different ways of thinking and being and eating and living. And they'll find the path that fits for them and that resonates with their heart. But you've also been super like uh, fitness minded. You were always in killer shape. And we were always like. You know, I remember you being on like you, on uh, Leno and talking to Kevin Eubanks about what was it called diet manipulation or something. And I'm like, what the hell is she talking about? <laughs> so I was like, and I was, I was like, a huge fan. I knew him from, and of well, course he he's he a all jacked up, yeah. he is a renowned musician. He's the most yeah. incredible yeah. musician. Comes from a very musical family, totally. um, and we also were huge fans. We had the copies of Flex magazine with him in them. Wow. So we were like just flipping out about meeting <laughs> Kevin Eubanks. It wasn't even about being on the Tonight Show. It was like right. Kevin Eubanks was there. And we were massive fans. And he's just such a lovely person. Um, and yeah, diet manipulation was really important. You know, like I loved, I'm a gym rat. I loved the gym. I loved bodybuilding when I was a kid. Um, I love it. And to this day, I love martial arts and boxing and stuff like that. With, uh, with COVID-19, I have not set foot in a gym. No. Uh, up here in Toronto, everything was kind of, you know, still closed for quite a long time. It just opened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not there. I broke my wrist uh, on BMXing in July, so I, I'm what? not there BMXing? anyway. Damn. <laughs> yeah, it was wow. very sad. It was also 4th of July. I, I broke my wrist. First bone I ever broke in my life. I can't believe wow. it. Knock on wood. I mean, I can't even believe that. Damn. Um, it was exciting. I felt like, a, you know, I, I wear it like a badge. That was you know, pretty badass. Did you go, how, did you, how did you go over the bars or what did you do? Yeah, you know, I wish I could say that it was doing like a crazy backwards double, no footy over the things. <laughs> but you know, really, I was just trying to trying to break my fall. 
with my wrist like like people are wont to do and yes. uh and yeah that that crazy wrist but my surgeon uh dr lopez was so amazing he actually uh, was a, he actually you can't even tell where the scar is because wow. he wanted oh. to line up the tattoos uh, uh, of course, i was like yeah. it's okay scars it's like are cool. numbers i think scars of, are cool yeah. i'm like make it look really 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 disgusting because then i have something to talk about <laughs> no didn't happen made it look <laughs> perfect <laughs> yeah how old were you at your first tattoo oh i always like to say i was 18 years old I was 18. The first tattoo I ever got was the Eye of Horus, the all-seeing eye. It says, uh, it says in Wikipedia, just so you know, that you were 16. So oh, yeah. I don't want to call you out on I that. Tell, well, the parents appreciate it when I tell their kids that I was okay. like 25 uh, or 18. I tell everybody I, tell yeah. everybody I was 11. So yeah, just to, oh, very good. Because I'm so hardcore. <laughs> and you did it yourself in prison. I exactly. only wanted one tattoo. I don't know how it happened, but I only wanted one. It always goes that way, doesn't it? It does yeah. go that yeah. way. But I like it. And I like the idea of recording really important or powerful words to us in our skin. Like, totally. To me, that's just really what it was all about. And I just, yeah. You've decorate, you decorated your it. temple. That's allowed. You can decorate your temple. It's your well, it depends on who you ask. Well, that's you know? true. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you ask, you ask God and Jesus. They're like, they frown upon it. I know. There's, there's, <laughs> a, lot of, there's a lot of heavy cats that are like, oh, yeah, shit, no, you're going to hell. Kid. I'm like, thank God. Yeah. That's all where my friends are. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. Schools again in Japan because you spent so much time there with tattoos. It's still kind of like, how does that work? Japan? Oh, in Japan tattoos? Yeah, and tattoos. Yeah, it's kind of. Yeah, it's you can't really sport tattoos so much in the culture. I mean, as a gaijing or a westerner, or someone someone that comes over, you can, but but Japanese tattoo art is a huge thing. It's it's associated with yakuza. So if you have oh. a hat, it's like immediately you're going to get that. Oh, is he part? Of, you know, is she part of the? Is he part of the yakuza? So what, what is yakuza? Is that mafia Ma or something? Ma so many big Gangs. words in today's episode. We're all going to have to run to uh, you know the dictionary <laughs> after this. Yeah, so if if you do happen to go out where you show the tattoo or like you go into a, like a hot tub or something like that, you just have to cover it up. In uh, China, I remember they made they made us like. You have to wear a long sleeve shirt to the gym or whatever. And I was like, what? I've never even experienced that. So it makes you feel pretty hardcore when you're finally in a country where it's like, whoa. Because remember when you were a kid? We all remember this because we grew up at a certain time. I'm watching Cobra Kai now, so I'm so in the 80s. In my oh, brain. my gosh. Everyone yeah. is watching Cobra Kai. <laughs> but remember when, like, you know, even if you had, like, slightly long hair, they wouldn't hire you to pack groceries, like, yeah. you know, or an earring or anything like that? I'm talking, like, as a guy. I don't know about the girls. Mm -hmm. And now it's like you go to Starbucks and the guy's got the tattoo on his neck and you go, dude, this good for you, sir. Sometimes yeah, it's tattoos. I see. Yes, piercings, exactly. you know. Yeah. Back when I was a kid, back when I was a kid, if you had like like a Corey Haim mullet, you were gonna be like, You gotta get a haircut before you work here, sir. That's right. <laughs> I remember coming home with my earrings and my dad was just like flipping on me. Meanwhile, <laughs> <laughs> he was sleeved, actually. Really? Ironically really? enough, yeah. My dad yeah, you're amazing. Yeah. Rock and roll. <laughs> so what, uh, let's talk about the difference between Vancouver and Toronto, because I have always thought this myself. We, my band was from Saskatchewan. We went to Vancouver. Well, we had a Bob Rock brought us up to Vancouver, but I often think Fancy. now, yeah. you know, I'm dropping names, watch your feet. <laughs> Big time. So I, I remember saying like, 
now in retrospect, I go, hmm, it would have been interesting to go to Toronto just because Toronto was so much more like when you go to Toronto, you do a tour across Canada. Often by the time you get to Southern Ontario, there's as many gigs in Southern Ontario that there has been to get to Ontario. And I thought to myself, like when I talk to like I'm other earth guys or tea party guys and I'm like, oh, I, I totally understand how you can, you know, cultivate an entire career because in Vancouver, as you know, unless you're going to stop in like Kelowna or Kamloops or Cranbrook or one of those towns, often your tour starts like opening show in Vancouver and then you're absolutely knackered by Calgary. So it's like a 12 hour drive to Calgary and then you're kind of like, and then the rest of the country is what it is. But, but Toronto and because the industry is in Toronto as well. So I assume that's what's brought you there. I know we kind of talked on this briefly earlier. How long have you been there? 19 months you said? Yes. And I mean, you know, the thing about it is, um, I don't know. All the book publishers that I was working with were here. Um, all of our publicity teams were here. And mm-hmm. it just, it was time for a change. And I know that a lot of people are uh, have left Vancouver due to economics as well. Word. Um, but here, you know, it's kind of the same in a yeah. way. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There was a, a lot of my friends basically kind of felt I defected. It wasn't just yeah, that I well, moved, it's that I defected. And yeah, because you kind of are synonymous with the city of Vancouver. Like, when I first went to Vancouver, it was kind of like you were already the reigning queen. So the fact that you're not Very there funny. is kind of interesting. Well, you know, I can't. I never say never. I think that I'll wind up back there for sure. Sure. Um, but it is a great city. It is an it amazing is. city. It's it the is. best city in the world is for, for beauty. It, it is, yeah. Well, it, that depends on where you find it. I suppose. Because I've discovered that um, where we are here, it's, uh, you know, when I was talking about BMXing, what we do is we go in all the little back lanes in Etobicoke, and we, we freestyle, do street riding, and I'm obsessed with chop shops <laughs> and the history of the mafia. Huh. You know, oh, Moose Jaw, Moose oh, Jaw. Well. <laughs> yeah, Moose Jaw. <laughs> Al Capone, come on, the tunnels, the caves. I just, I'm obsessed. I just think it's, I think it's really beautiful here. There are so many songbirds. There's cardinals here. There's uh, oh, a absolutely, lot of yeah. blue jays. Um, and I'm quite obsessed with them. Um, one of our uh, fellas, um, our guitar player, Doug Fury, has just relocated back to That's London, right. where That's he's right, from. Yeah. And Please so, say hi to Doug for me. I haven't I seen will. him in years. We'll see, I love we'll that see him guy. this weekend. Um, Amazing. But yeah, and, and I mean, again, all the uh, all the little wildlife and, and all the songbirds are very different than they are yeah. on the West Coast. And I'm just uh, I'm enamored. Sure. I'm enchanted. Like, I, think it's Im- enchanted. I think it's important once in a while to change your comfort level because I did the same thing when I came to the U.S. It was sort of like, you know, you couldn't be in a more different place, but it changes yes. your entire perspective and it sort of makes you kind of like reevaluate and and i appreciate what you did love about where you were but you're always in a sense of discovery which i think is important especially as a creative person like yourself because you're not just as a singer in a band but as a person who like who's always been poetry uh and and spoken word and that kind of stuff that i think that no i don't think people forget but i think it's such a big part of what i think about when i think of you is not just this sort of wild punk rock singer kind of thing but the actual uh the spoken word stuff and the lyricism has always been hand in hand with that i assume that's still going on you're still going to keep doing that till the end of time i think you guys flew right over us though i mean fitzy don't you agree there's tons of uh dirty back alleys and chop shops in winnipeg i mean (laughs) the dirtiest baby you know the dirtiest is right i think what's great about vancouver growing up in the prairies you just think well the weather is beautiful 
So there is a you know headspace about being on the West Coast rather than you Mm -hmm. know Toronto, and so and Shane and Corey who are in scorching heat right now in California, right? And you in Vegas, and I'm in Winnipeg, and it's starting to get cold. There is something gritty about the prairies and Winnipeg weather wise, and I think you 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 know now that you're back in Toronto, is there something satisfying and painful at the same time about like the the East Coast mentality is different. It's New York, but it's Toronto, and it's like it's yeah. fast. It's a lot it's, faster, isn't it? The winter it's so different. I love winter, and I mean, you know, yeah. people. And again, growing up in Manitoba, it's you know we're hardy people. Like I love the cold. I love the heat. I love it all. There's nothing I don't like. <laughs> Real popular girl in high school, by the way. Um, <laughs> you know, I love it all, and I have to say that the Toronto. I think that climate change. Uh, has happened and of course you guys down in California are really experiencing uh, a lot of the horrors of that um, right. but but equally up here um, Toronto is in southern Ontario I would say the cold like Winnipeg cold never happens here ever no that's true yeah uh, and it and it only really gets a little bit I guess treacherously cold maybe maybe two weeks maybe the rest of the time yeah. is just Canada cold, you know, but it's not Winnipeg cold. No, no, nothing ever is. No, and I can't remember. I cannot remember. The older I get, the, I can't remember anything bad. And I don't think that it's because I like block out the bad because uh, I have considered that. But it's not. It's the <laughs> truth is all of my memories, uh, even with frostbite and uh, and having rehearsal spaces with no heat and all that oh, stuff. Boy. I just have fond memories. I just do. And I have to just laugh at all the. All the stuff we endured. Uh, it's funny that you say that. I remember Fitz and I did it. Did it. Uh, Corey was there too. We did that thing with Chris Jericho in Regina, Saskatchewan. Remember, we did that that oh my thing, God. and that was the first time I'd been in Saskatchewan in a long time because I'd been living in the states, especially down here where I'll see something on TV and someone's wearing a scarf and a big jacket, and I go, "Oh, I remember getting to get." You think about like oh, I'm going to wear that awesome jacket. Now it's like <laughs> the idea of wearing a jacket is like like one week a year. You know, it's like, it doesn't make any sense. But, uh, yeah, we went to Regina and I remember opening the door to that, the hotel door open to get to the van. And it felt like Jack Frost punched you right in the face as hard as he could. And I was like, good Lord, we grew up in this, Corey. (laughs) And and that was Grey Cup weekend, right? They played, they played football in that weather. It was literally 40 below. Can you imagine that the the football must be like hard as a block of ice by that thing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, hey, guys, I think we all admit that night we were on the field for last year's um, Heritage. Well, that's right. So, yeah, yeah. You, again, Regina, come on, none of us could hang. We were crying. My life. We tapped out. <laughs> <laughs> that was the hardest gig I think I ever did. I remember showing up in, in the day, and it was a, literally a blizzard in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> drum set that's just in pieces and i've got like i'm all bundled up <laughs> so it's just safe to say that you guys have gotten really soft after leaving <laughs> yeah, absolutely yeah. no it was admittedly so yeah and then i had to yeah. put it all together <laughs> but i think even if we lived in regina saskatchewan that would suck like it was yeah. tough it was tough yeah and i remember yeah. looking at todd like after you know we'd break we we did like a bunch of these little segments and I remember looking at you Todd and I'd never seen you like bummed out a gig but 
and they're coming over by the drums, and you're all bundled up with the scarf, and I could tell it was just you were not. I was over. Well, put it this way: my uncle is a huge sports fan, and he was at that game. And third period rolled around. He had left. He went to some bar and watched the rest on TV. That's how cold he was. And so we were out there on the on the field playing. And there's a snowdrift building up in my guitar case behind the stage. And the way that stadium's built, there's a big crack right between the two like huge like balconies that go up, like the seating right. area. Yeah. So there's this funnel of wind that comes through, and it was like just hitting us like blizzard. Yeah, I had nothing. I had a blizzard on my like my snare drum was full of snow. Yeah, the palms are full. Yeah, it was brutal. Nothing prepares you for nothing prepares you for trying to be a rock star, Mm -hmm. and it's literally like a blizzard of snow coming, and you're and you're afraid of slipping because the the stage gets covered in snow, and you're like, ah. But the other side of the coin was it was like the coolest gig ever because we're in the NHL. I mean, it was amazing. But you don't have to deal with too much of that in Toronto. I remember playing Nathan Phillips Square for New Year's Eve one time. Yeah. And I remember my lip my lips literally sticking to the microphone like a Saskatchewan <laughs> winter. Like, you know. And I was like, oh God, it's just the worst. You couldn't feel your guitar. It was just the worst. But yeah. You know, it could be worse. Yeah, I could be actually working out there. So playing music, no one has any sympathy for us watching this no. right now. They're like, dude, I'm working <laughs> that shit. So yeah. Biff, just going through some of the comments here, we were we we've had a number of uh, female guests on the show in the last couple of weeks. Uh, in Very particular, good. in particular, uh, female singers, and it's always interesting to get a female perspective. And given the fact that you said you grew up wanting to be an actress, how did that transition into music? And uh, Donna was asking if there was any female musicians that were an inspiration that may have shifted that for you. Oh gosh, you know, it was just the. Uh it was an accident how I got into a band. It was totally an accident. These guys were in my th- theater class, basically, wow. and uh, and that's it. And uh, I just uh, replaced their singer. Their male singer had left. I replaced them because, of course, I was, you know, uh, dating the drummer. I, w- I, want- <laughs> I liked the drummer. He had a mohawk, and he was a vegetarian. That was not for me. Nice. And, uh, and it just, it was a fit. It was a good fit. And, uh, and I left on tour. I dropped out of school and I never looked back. I've done a couple acting gigs over the years, but, uh, I always had these little dogs and I found that I, I was not prepared to be on a set for 20 hours a day. And right. that was the bottom line. And I just, I just never pursued it as long as my dogs were alive. My last dog died. He was 17. Um, that oh, was six wow. years ago. Hmm. And uh, I just was unprepared to do it. But but music was a great fit. And I can act on the stage. It is very vaudevillian, you know, it when is. you're singing when you're singing lucky, you know, for the yeah. seven hundred thousandth time. Uh, you know, you still actually get into that space where you are equally sad and uh, and you sing it with every part of your heart. I mean you know, it's uh, it's better than acting. It's musical theater. It really is, yeah. Yeah. There is a certain amount of, like, the floor lights and the pancake makeup and the whole <laughs> old showbiz idea of getting getting out there. You know, it's like, yes. essentially, we are essentially carrying on that, that routine of that been going on for years. But like Absolutely. you say, as a singer, and I think one of the biggest things as a vocalist to learn is, is certainly it's singing in key and singing in time and all that kind of stuff. But there is something to be said if you're going in to sing a song that is a sad song, you kind of have to convey that. And if you don't, and and the best singers do convey that, and I think that's how people react to it, as opposed to just, 
I sang this song perfectly in key, but right. I really didn't feel any of it. That's I assume right. no one's going to feel it, you know? And the same yeah. with the, and that's why hip hop or, or metal works because it's so angsty that uh, those guys convey that. You know? And the same goes for you because you, you're, the course of your show has all of that. It has hot peaks and valleys of emotion and, that, and you're so good at doing that. God bless you. I'm going to, to write, <laughs> well, write you a check and send it to you. <laughs> Say such nice things to old lady. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is nice having you here to break up this sausage party. I got to say. Yes, you. absolutely. So and the other thing, is. actually, I, I was I, I wanted to bring up um, also on a, on a personal level. I know that, uh, and I'm sure it's public knowledge, you've had your share of, of health concerns and scares. And we all applaud you for your battle and, uh, you know, all your time that you spent in, in you know, getting through that. You have online, um, what I noticed today after just doing some reading, your own line of CBD oils. Is yes. that... Um, That's correct. In fact, wow. we, just, we have just uh, uh, partnered with PETA in the United States. Cool. And we've just gotten our certification for USDA uh, through our growers. And um, yeah, it's, you know, when I was in breast cancer treatment, it, I, I believe it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, because it brought me to two things. One was volunteering. I never would have been off tour in my life. I was doing a sure. martial arts show in Russia in between tours. And it was just, it was madness. My life was madness. Mm. Um, I had just gotten married to my third husband. No, my second husband at the time. And, um, and it was just, it was madness. And being diagnosed, I got to stay home. With my dogs, I was like, this is great. This is like my cancer vacation. I can't believe this. And <laughs> it was fantastic. And for me to have the opportunity to actually have a lived experience where I went through the surgery, went through the chemo, went through the radiation, then I can bring that into my volunteering and do peer support for these women who were, um, you know, having to wrestle with navigating those treatment um, protocols and stuff. It's horrifying. Women are terrified and their families are terrified. Nobody, especially back then, nobody was talking about it. There wasn't Instagram, you know, there was no, no Facebook stories, uh, where they could find, uh, you know, just find, uh, I guess, kindred spirits in a way. Um, so I think that it was really great. And a lot of those women were taking tinctures at the time. It was just like, you know, cannabis tinctures and all this stuff. It was, uh, it was against the law. It was all against the law, and so was smoking pot. And they yeah. would they would utilize marijuana and plant medicines to help mitigate their symptoms. A lot of the time, you know, when people think about cancer patients, still today, a lot of people think about uh, people wasting away, and uh, that's that's not always the case, and certainly not for a lot of women's cancers. A lot of women, um, you know you know, gain weight from steroids. These cancers are hormone, you know, uh, affected. It's just, it's just, Absolutely. there's so many facets of it. And, and the facet of care that w intrigued me the most was the CBD. And so finally, uh, Mona Lisa healing is the company, uh, that we have. And, um, it's really, it's just really rewarding and gratifying for people to say that they've used the product and that it's helped them, whether it's with their anxiety or with their, um, sleeplessness or with some other symptoms that they're experiencing. It's just been amazing. It's just amazing. I love right. it. I love doing is that, it. Is that the Mona Lisa sticker behind you on the wall? Um, this one, yes. And this is my certificate of appreciation Okay, uh, from PETA. Yeah, it's, it's a amazing. lot of fun. Yeah, That's it's awesome. a lot of fun. So we're available in the U.S. and we've got uh, 
we're launching lavender. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so what, excited. What is the PETA? What is the PETA connection to the CBD? So for me, it was most important if I was going to get involved in this company and be involved in Mona Lisa. I wanted to be uh, positive, 100% positive that there were no animal products in it, and nice. I wanted to ensure that there was uh, no using of animals in any aspect of that process because sure. unless it unless it says so you don't ever really know for sure yeah. and so i wanted to have a product that i could assure other people especially for our uh you know we were trying to do a pet product because right now i mean if i would have had cbd for my bichon for example who had you know uh, back surgeries and, and herniated discs in her little hairy dog life uh, mm. CBD would have really helped her, mm, and, sure, and yeah. I know that it does help a lot of senior dogs. And we do, uh, we do donate to rescues and stuff like that. So the PETA certification was really important to me because it's a recognizable validation that you know if people don't know me or they don't know the brand, at least they can be uh, reassured that there's no uh, no animal cruelty. It's a cruelty free product. So you mentioned that's available in the U.S. That's obviously available in Canada as well. Canada is a very funny place, and let me tell you right now, the laws in Canada, even though they have um, legalized marijuana, um, CBD still falls under the Cannabis Act, and, you mm. know, I can see it's a whole other conversation. Mm. I think it mm. should be a food supplement, you know, in many of the states in America, it's considered a food supplement. It's different, yeah. uh, but not in Canada. So mm. unless in Canada you are working basically uh, with the government and with licensed producers, and uh, there's a lot of different different things that they require, they get they can get really like annoying and the the law is annoying it's it should be changed and it's it's a food Ooh. supplement and it's not and so yeah mm. it's very difficult you know and the canadian government needs uh needs to really but of course you know priorities i guess i don't know other other people who are buying um, CBD on the internet in Canada, they don't know what they're getting half the time. You know, it's sure. like bathtub drugs, you know, just because something says something on the label doesn't mean that's what it is. Just right. because it says it's not grapeseed oil doesn't mean that's what it is. You know, it's like, that's really hard to verify these products. And there are thousands, thousands and thousands of products. Um, you know, I have friends who've been ordering stuff like CBD and gummies and all this business off of the internet for years. Yeah. And I think they're, you know, crazy, but you know, there are people who rely on, on these medicines to help them uh, just survive. And sure. um, it's unfortunate, you know, the laws do have to change in Canada, but in Europe and in most of the United States, uh, it's a, you know, it's a little more normalized. Well, I think we've got enough of a panel here that you guys can take it to the hill, right? Let's uh, let's make a motion to uh, to turn it. That's right. Um, so, just to clarify, it is not available to ship to Canada. It just or is that you can go to MonaLisaHealing.com and uh, and if you live in the United States, um, you can obtain that product so i can order it and Ooh. send it to these guys and then they'll just mule it across the border is that the idea? i can't actually tell you to do that i'm pretty sure that's against the law yeah um, i know i'm, I'm i don't have yeah, a gig right now what does this mule thing pay 
<laughs> well, and this is the thing, you know, CBD is in coconut oil. I mean, it's just like, it's, you know, it's not only, it's not only harmless, it helps people and it helps people yeah. with a variety of different yeah. ailments. It helps their children. It helps their, their aging parents. It's just like, it helps their pets. Yeah. So the reason I, I ask is I have a daughter that, uh, that has epilepsy and we've tried CBD oil and the, like you said, it, it is just really hard to access and there's not a lot of information about it. So I was just interested in, in your take on that. And I was when I was browsing through the site, I noticed there was a, a number of different things there that looked great. And unfortunately, like you said, we're just on the wrong side of the border for that. So, well, As until the, the law is changing Canada, yeah, yeah. yeah. we're trying yeah. very hard. I, know, I think it's even a gray area here because sometimes you can, they can, they can't actually call it CBD oil in California. Correct. Yeah. It has to be labeled hemp oil. And then yeah. within that hemp oil, to actually be CBD, it has to be like cannabinoid. It yes. has to have the cannabinoid extract because that's, you can go in and they, they like, for instance, Lawson's is like a local distributor here in Southern California. And they had it on the shelves for a couple of years and then they had to take it all off because that's of right. the whole label thing. Yeah. Now they put it back, but they call it hemp oil. Oh, so and you can buy beauty products that are, that are using the hemp leaf, if you want to call it that. And, uh, they are flying off the shelves, really? and they might not have even a trace right. in yeah. them. But it's so, uh, it's big business, and it's it's yeah. fascinating. I mean, people are and I, people I are made funny. that mistake. I actually did because I take it for sleep, and I bought yeah. it on the internet. And I got it, and it was like, oh, this is not actually right. cannabinoid oil in this. Right, it's right. hemp. You know, it's hemp oil, right? Not yeah. not cannabinoid extract. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's it's fascinating. It's a fascinating industry, and uh, I mean, at the bottom line is, for me, you know, to be involved in it, all I really want to do is help people. <laughs> like that's it, you know. That's all. Absolutely. That's all it's for. And it was because I met so many women in my breast cancer groups that were using it. Totally. My brother died of cancer, and he was barely on any mm. pain meds at the end, like pharmaceuticals and, and he, he would make his own marijuana oil and it, you know, it, it kept him from, from being in on the, all the opioids that just mess people up, you know, yeah. at the end of their life, They're not even really aware anymore, you know? That's right. You Amazing. Know? Amazing. Uh, so, um, that's cool. And that it's PETA certified. Uh, I think, Darren just put it across the screen there, so check yeah, it out. Absolutely. We're going to definitely check it out. Yeah, cool. yeah. Cool. yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. So how, how do you stay – you've had a lot of kind of dark things happen to you in your life, you know, from running away to breast cancer, and uh, but you seem so optimistic. So what do you attribute that to? How do, you, how do we all get so optimistic because there's a lot of shitty things going on in the world? <laughs> Well, I don't know. You know, I've read a lot of I've read a lot of different um, things about toxic optimism recently, oh. where people are saying, "Well, if you're too optimistic, that's toxic," and all this stuff. And I I was very wow. concerned about that because I thought, "Wow, maybe I better check myself. Maybe I better check in and and see what the deal is." You know, I think that optimism is for me anyway. It's always been a coping technique, and it's always worked. Uh, regardless of the situation, whether or not, uh, you know, we played a concert in Fresno, California in 1992, uh, where a gang 
uh, decided they didn't want us to play and they stole all our equipment while we were on the stage. Mm. And instead of us like being upset, we counted how many Mickey's Big Mouth we had in the van, uh, which was a brand of beer, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what it was. <laughs> and, uh, and we decided not to get bummed about it and carried on. And, uh, you know, these are little examples of things where I can find a silver lining in just about anything. And, yeah, I mean, even if I make it up, I will find a silver lining in something. Uh, because it's just true. There's always, uh, there always is a blessing in everything. And I don't, you know, I don't think that, um, I don't think that optimism will ever hurt anybody ever no uh, i don't think it's naive uh i think that you know sometimes it, it can be forced for sure i've had to force optimism many times but it, i don't think it's because i'm a performer uh and i don't think it's because my parents dragged me to church kicking and screaming every sunday uh because they sang in the choir so we had to go um <laughs> i just think that it feels good you know i think the bottom line is that being optimistic and and Keeping your hopes up really does, it feels good. It feels good in your brain. It feels good in your body. Uh, and it makes other people feel good around you. And they're losing hope, uh, regardless of what the situation is. And, uh, and I just think that's how I'm always going to be. I mean, I don't know. There, there are some times when I just think, you know, am I wrong? Like, am I delusional? Am I tra-la-la in that movie? Like, you know, like... But I just think that it just, the bottom line is it feels better to be positive. And that's it. Like, it's really simple. It just feels good. Especially during what this current climate that we're living in, in on the planet, it's, it's important to be, you know, to look to someone like yourself and go, hey, you know what? She's right. If I focus on this and this and this, things aren't so bad. You know what I mean? It's, it's very easy on a day-to-day -day basis to get focused on the traffic or whatever the regular life stuff is. And, uh, we have to remind ourselves, like, it's like hearing you say, you know, you get cancer, but you get to stay home with your dogs. It's like, yeah. wow, what a cup half full situation there. I, you know, I've not been through anything close to that, so I can't even comment, but it's such a, to hear you say that is like, wow, I, I got some work to do. I'm going to sit down and do some Biff work in my brain today. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want you know I had the same haircut since I was 18 years old. Losing my, <laughs> losing my hair was fantastic shit. Let me tell you that. You know, it felt good. I I liked rubbing my head. I got wigs. I ordered wigs. It was you know it was hot. Um, yeah. I don't know. You know that you. I think that having a sense of humor is part and parcel of being optimistic because shit's funny. You know, and it when is. you yeah. when you can't cry, you have to laugh because it's totally. fun. It's funny. Totally. Totally. Isn't it a Buddhist expression? No expectations, no disappointments. That's also true. And yeah. I, have, I actually have a girlfriend who has always be believed in that. And she's no Buddhist uh. Uh, at all. Uh, but she has always believed in that. And I always scolded her for it because I always, she, cause she uh, used that ideology as a self-protection. You know, right. she would protect herself from getting hurt or disappointed sure. by never expecting anything from anyone or having low expectations, basically. Sure. Although it is definitely, you know, a, kind of in line with that neutrality that the Buddhists, you know, have. But I, I think that I, I expect everything from everybody you know but i don't not for myself i expect the best for people and, and i expect that 
you know, when you're on a, say you're on a city bus, for example, and, and people are so judgmental, especially now, yes, during COVID and during the pandemic, people are just, it's, it's insanity. People are just madness. They are judging each other. Everybody's, you know, grouchy. Everybody's upset with everybody else. And I just think, hey, you know what, we can't, you have to always look at that other person neut neutrally, you know, and, and envision what they are, look at them like they're five, like envision what they, who they were at five, close your eyes sure. and just imagine it, and, and your compassion will, will suddenly, you know, wow. blossom yeah. out of you, it works, it's a trick that works, it always works. Hmm. What was the saying, Corey? No expectations, no disappointments. No disappointments. Yeah. <laughs> not to be confused with Homer Simpson's if something's hard, it's not worth doing, right? But... <laughs> also true. Yeah, okay. Well done. So I'm going to ask this question, because, and we've never gone here before, ever. So I apologize to the guys if we get to... But free will or no free will? Here we go. I don't understand the ding, question. Ding, ding. Do you believe that we have free will or that we are predestined. I see. Well, you know, I have to say my late father is laughing right now because he always accused me of being a predestinist. Okay. And I think that, uh, I think that it's, it's probably a bit of both. You know, the truth is it's probably a bit of both because we are really, uh, we're driving the car. We are driving our car. And it took me until my fourth decade of life to realize no one's coming to save me. <laughs> and, and I still have to learn that all the time. And I think that's the whole thing with any, with any do-over. We have to do over every day, just like a yoga practice, like a, a meditation practice. It takes practice. Every day we have to do it again and go, oh, shit, that's right. No right. one's coming to save me. I'm driving the car. I am driving my car. This guy over here is driving his own car. So if he's having his, you know, he's he's upset about the mask, not the mask, or he's upset about, you know, his job or whatever's happening, he's in control of his reaction. He's sure. not in control of the situation, but he can control how he's going to react to it or to respond to it. And I think that that we do have free will. It is uh, it is up to us how we can, whether or not we're driving a speeding car or whether we can like calmly, you know, experience what's happening. Totally. Which may or may not be destiny. <laughs> <laughs> and in the, in the words of Getty Lee, what? You will try. Pitsy had it. I, I thought everyone would chime in there. <laughs> no. It's one of Sorry, my favorite Yeah. Yeah. Technically, those are Neil Peart's words, but yes. And technically, it's Neil Peart. Apparently, I learned. <laughs> I also learned. Yeah. So, so moving forward, I mean, and as with everybody going through crazy times, what do people have to look forward to in from you, in particular, uh, for the rest of 2020 going into 2021? Anything new and exciting on the horizon? Well, probably a lot like you guys. I mean, our tours were either canceled or postponed and then postponed again. And, you know, and this keeps happening. We had released a single uh, in on Valentine's Day, which was the first single from a new record. Yeah, it's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so that happy song. that you like it. It yeah. sounds like nothing else on the record. And it's it was a fantastic really, video. it was deliberate. Doug Fury directed that video. Wow. Um, really? 
It was really a deliberate choice for us to do that song first. I had uh, earmarked the first three songs uh, for the new record that I wanted to release in a row before we put all the songs up. And literally, um, you know, because of the, because of how I grew up, I wanted to listen to a record from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, you know, lie on my stomach, kicking my feet up in the air on my bed, you know, looking at uh, looking at the uh, album cover and reading the lyrics and so the first three songs were earmarked february we released jim and we had planned on releasing our second single in may and then our third single in august and then of course follow that with uh, the rest of the songs kind of lumped into one package um but again with COVID-19 and the pandemic and some of the shows being postponed and it was like well let's just let's just wait and then that kind of happened so well they do have new songs to look forward to um we were going to release the record in fall which is coming up uh and that's something that we had planned to do since um since January it was always going to be in the fall but now I'm like I don't know maybe when it snows maybe the, when it snows I'm going to release it but I'm really excited I you know it's the first uh, studio album I've actually uh felt like doing in, in almost 9 years and wow. working working again with Doug Fury on these songs and with Snake has been uh has just been for me it has just really been life affirming uh awesome. work and i just yeah it's just been so much fun i just love it i cannot wait i'm very excited i wrote That's a book of uh, poetry called razor blade chewing gum um and i'm going to hopefully put that out before christmas yeah right. Wow, see? I'm just envisioning that in my head right now. I'm unpacking <laughs> razor blade chewing gum. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my <strange>. God. <laughs> chewing on razor blades. <laughs> yeah, not recommended. No. no don't. And, and, of course, the question we ask every guest on the show, and I'm sure you're familiar with, with personal careers and collectively the, the band Took and what they've been doing for Canadian music over the last couple of years, and just to get your insight, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the catalog, but do you see a song Canadian that these guys should cover? And if so, what would that be? Yeah. What oh have we missed? Goodness. What have we missed, Biff? We've covered a million Canadian songs and I'm, you know, I'm curious to hear your perspective. Have you covered getting on credit? We have not covered get it on credit, but we did. We did do enough a Toronto song. We did oh, enough is did. enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I could easily do get it on credit. Very good. Get it on credit. Now, are you saying that just because you moved to Toronto, you have to say the band Toronto? Is that how that works? No, I just think it's obligation. I think that it's a it's a fun song. It is. It is. Yeah, that is plus. That's actually. Yeah. I stood in line and got their autographs on the on the Get It On Credit tour. Oh my now goodness! Now I know that, that is people. hilarious. <laughs> that is hilarious. The only other song I would say is my manager. I've had the same manager since I was twenty-two years old. Of course, Peter Carroll, and yeah. he was in a band called the Carroll Brothers when he was a young man with his brothers. And they okay. have this song that you can find uh, that has the video on the internet because they played it on I'm laughing because we always play it. And um, it's called, uh, what's it called? Downtown? 
I think it's called Downtown. Yeah, I remember Downtown. That. Yeah, I remember that whole thing. That's an, a Carol Brothers song would be uh, pretty fantastic. Amazing. They, they had no how's, shirts how's on. They would they would whip their guitars. Carol, oh, Carol really? Oh, yes. And oh, what yeah, about like uh, and what about something uh, from your catalog? We all know Todd is no slouch when it comes to oh, yeah. doing a, 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 a female voice. Songs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Super Beautiful Monsters remains my favorite record, Todd. I was lucky enough to be a record. I was lucky enough to be a part of that record. What a, yeah, what a blast that was! Such a fun. It was such yeah. a fun era. Um, yeah, it was. Oh gosh, you know, gosh, gosh. There's so many different songs. I just can't even imagine. Um, people like what they recognize. I find even if I sit there going. Yeah, but this other this other song had some interesting right. timing. There's a, a backwards forward part, you know. People yeah, don't give yeah. a shit, man. They just you know, they only yeah. want to hear what they know. And uh, and so yeah, it would be an honor if you played any of the songs. There you Yay. go. Anything. Yeah. Who did you like in the Canadian bands when you were a kid? Oh boy. Well, you know, I always liked Anvil because when uh, <laughs> nice. when I was uh, at an impressionable age, I was down in New Jersey at the place called the Birds Hill, and at the time, uh, John and Marcia Zazula were co-managing me with Peter, and they took That's me right. to the Birds Hill to see Raven and Anvil. Yeah, Raven. Yeah, and it was this. Uh, what was it? It was some particular thing, but anyway, and Lips. Uh, performed a song where he was on all I can remember was his lyrics going five nickel shuffle in the shower with soap and I was like, <laughs> blown away I was just like this is the best thing I've ever heard in my life and I was like a devotee I loved and I just loved them lips so, is coming on here soon amazing yeah. Yeah. just they're so fantastic they're yeah. so and their their documentary was so we're fantastic. gonna get him to do an acoustic so version beautiful. of that one i guess yeah oh yeah. my god that, yeah. that, that was pre-metal on metal was that like uh, it was just so good it was so good it was just that might be post that, that and there was a, a song, I think it was called My Bush Pig or something like that. I was just like, this is amazing. I was just like, this is just blew my mind. Was that what record was that? Was that Back Waxed? Because that was pretty metal on metal. It was like the old <laughs> Like, I mean, come oh, on. Like, how amazing is that? I know, just I know. so yeah. funny. March of all those records, like when they were brand new. I remember going to Records on Wheels. Did you ever go there, Biff, on Portage Avenue? Yes, I did when I was allowed. Yeah, it was such a good selection. Like, they had all the metal, yeah. all the punk, all in one store. And, yeah. you know, I bought everything from Apple yeah. to, you know, whatever. Venom and everything in between. Venom. Oh, Venom. And Voivod. I mean, oh, yeah. that was also Voivod. groundbreaking. Also yeah. Canadian. Yes. Voivod's also groundbreaking. Canadian. Yeah. yeah. What year did you move to Winnipeg then? Uh, so, Gorilla Gorilla flipped a coin. We were either going to drive to Toronto or to uh, Vancouver. And uh, that was in uh, 1990. And I moved there uh, to Winnipeg in uh, 84. Okay. That's a good, that's a good year. Whatever There's year, a lot going on. the Power Slave uh, Iron Maiden tour was that in That sounds Arena. about right. Yeah, because that's when I was yeah. living there. Yeah. <laughs> So you were really, did you, did you like bands like Harlequin and like the Winnipeg bands and Street Heart or were you more metal? Oh yeah, for sure. No, I totally, I totally liked every band. There was a yeah. lot. See, one thing that the Prairies had that was great was cover bands. 
Yeah, right. And so the chocolate bunnies from hell oh, yeah. <laughs> were like, I would go see them constantly yeah. with my little girlfriends. We were underage, of course. Um, but it was like, man, it was how I was introduced to like Depeche Mode. It was how I was sure. introduced to a lot of these other bands that I wouldn't have known had I not seen them covered. By totally. the chocolate bunnies from hell. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, I think my first real fun show was DRI. Yeah. The light yeah. bulb started going off for me. Like that, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I laugh now. I go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back when mosh pits could happen. Yeah. Oh, they'll, yeah. Ever, yeah. they'll ever happen again. I'm not Wait sure. Wait for the socially distanced mosh pits. Now, there's, Those there's, there's a different danger in the mosh pits now. Yeah, the, the <laughs> yeah. but you know, just like fight clubs, there are underground shows that have always been happening this entire time. They are happening all over North America. They have never stopped, and uh, it's just—I don't know. It's—is it the dark web? I'm not sure. I'm not connected. Uh -huh. You know, I don't, exactly. I, don't, I don't know how to find these shows, but they're—they're no. they're happening. We've got yeah, a link exactly. in the comments below here. It's like <laughs> <laughs> Of course. What is the what is the live uh, music scene, if at all, in Toronto? I know we were discussing this last week or the week prior. I mean, in Winnipeg here, there are clubs that are still or are running live shows. Um, you know, obviously with with stipulations. Is that is that at all happening in Toronto? I don't think so. I'm not sure. I know that there are some bands that have been playing drive-in shows. Uh, we have a couple of shows coming up this month, but again, we're playing in a venue that is empty. Oh. And it will be streamed. Sure. Wow. Uh, but yeah. this, the end of the month, we're playing up at the Neat Cafe. You guys know the Neat guys mm -hmm. in yeah. um, not Orange Fire, it's Burnstown, Ontario. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Lo lovely, yeah. lovely place, yeah. and that'll be an outdoor, socially distanced show. So yeah, I'll keep you posted. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And where yeah. could people where could people find out information on that? Uh, on social media, on the on uh, the Facebook page where the events are listed and stuff. I don't have a Bandcamp page because someone else took Biff Naked as the name, and I've never what? been able to access it. Um, That's weird. Which happened on Instagram too, which is why it's Biff Naked official. I think on Instagram, I don't know. I can't. I can't That's keep me. track. I can't keep my, track. My my favorite thing is the guy on Instagram who's just like Mike Smith official, but he's just right. some guy. Right. <laughs> it's my favorite thing in the world. Is you know. Oh, oh, you're officially Mike Smith. Okay. That's right. So well, because it's a common name. It's very possible. Maybe that's actually his Christian name, the official. <laughs> yes, yeah. it's you very know. possible. Look at me judging. It's not judging. It's questioning. <laughs> it's it's thank you. It's, thank it's you. a natural curiosity. You're I need you around more often to <laughs> tell me it's I'm doing a, the right thing. It's a thing. natural curiosity. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Miss Biffy. This has been so awesome. I feel hey, like uh, I had a visit with you guys. It makes me feel less alone in the world. I know, right? Make sure you tell your your, your husband that uh, we're going to hang out and, and really annoy you with way too much kiss minutia eventually. <laughs> it's it's beyond. It's just, it's so much. It's so much kiss all the time. All the time. <laughs> all the time. And we recently, uh, we recently took in uh, a puppy that someone was had to rehome, a five-month-old oh. puppy, uh, and of course, named Ace. Ah, ah, yeah, <laughs> Ace. amazing. Yeah, Ace. I love that he's not just Ace; he's Ace Fraley. Ace, no, Ace Fraley on Ace was taken. Oh, on lead guitar. I got you. Wow, that's a that's a very full name. Uh, what what'd you do? 
Oh, there she is. I think, yeah, I think <laughs> I didn't have my phone on airplane. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I, know. I don't know. I know. Suddenly yeah. somebody tries to call you in the middle of it. Welcome to the new world, right? It's That's just, right. We're That's learning all the time, world. trust me. We We've been doing this. I love this, though. This is really How many cool. weeks is this now, Darren? Uh, 20? 23. We missed oh, one, so yeah, it's 23. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. No, I think it's 23 episodes. We've gone 24 weeks, but we missed one. So this would be wow. 23, I think. Dang. I don't know. I've lost track. I mean, cool. it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But yeah, it's it's yeah. been fantastic. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us. Thank Again, you anybody me. wants more information, biffnaked.com. You still have that though, correct? So you can direct them from correct. there. Yes. Um, search on social media and of course MonaLisaHealing.com That's right Yay. Check it out and uh, again like to thank everybody for tuning in If you enjoy the show and you're still figuring out what those little stars are that Facebook sends you because you're such a great listener feel free to donate those back to us because we can put them into making this show better every week so Yay. we appreciate everybody for tuning in again thanks Biff thanks guys for joining us today and we will see you back here next tuesday do we know who we're talking to next tuesday guys somebody i think we do but join I us back here for somebody <laughs> oh you know what? I mike think we smith official he's we might have the on. official mike smith he's coming out with an awesome <laughs> vegan vegan gumbo recipe he's <laughs> yeah we will get that information to you sooner than later but uh for now enjoy your week and again thanks for tuning in and we will talk to everybody later Thank you, Beth. Bye, everybody. Bye, Thank you. Love you, Beffy. Thank you. Miss you. <laughs>